Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is a podcast where the three of us are reading through the Wheel of Time at different points and speeds. We're going to only be talking about this section for the newcomer, uh, Bion. Because I have the freshest take, and then we get to have perspectives and all sorts of dynamics from someone who's literally seeing it the first time versus two other people with the ability to be, oh yes, that was in fact foreshadowing. Yes, we'll, Bion will have the absolute freshest, hottest takes. Fresh. Now, so fresh. who was that that was just speaking? Hi, I'm Jesse. So, Tyler's read this series multiple times, I think. It's true. And, and Bion has only just started it, and I'm somewhere in between. I'm almost finished with the third book, and I'm on along for the ride on this reread, and it's still very interesting. Yeah, um, this was definitely a section that I was looking forward to because we get to really be introduced to how much of an idiot Matt is. <laughs> um, what section are we reading, Tyler? We are reading chapters 11 through 20. Um, and, you know, while I had read this before Bion, obviously, um, and then while they were reading, I was actually thinking um, the two of us... Uh, I kind of have a surprise. Um, we're going to be going on a um, trip in uh, September. Um, I scheduled it. The weird thing was, so when I scheduled it online, um, the hotel that I got was in a place called uh, Eridol. But then the confirmation email said Shatter Logoth. <laughs> and so I, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fine. This that's is just, fine. That's just the new name. It's just new the new management. name. Um, we were going to see the uh, Mashadar and uh, nothing left over from when a, an army of Trollocs uh, entered and was wiped out. Absolutely nothing. Yeah, I uh, hear it's all been wiped clean. Um, but before we go on that trip, we're going to have to talk about this section, um, which starts with Chapter 11, The Road to Terran Ferry. So... It starts off, there's just so much description. It's really it's great. Lot. It's a lot. You learn a lot about the forest and what the forest looks like and sounds like and smells like. And I feel like I feel like a, a, a word picture was painted in my mindscape of this forest, which Lan, Moraine, Tom, Egwene, Rand, Matt, and Perrin are all running through. They just... They're so excited to get to the other side to get to Terran Ferry. Um, well, they're also running from a drug car. Yes, the drug car is chasing them from the sky. It is screaming sometimes. Yeah, disturbing the local village. It stops the festivities in Terran Ferry, um, which I guess would be their Beltine. Um, although, you know, I wouldn't trust those Terran Ferry folk to know how to really celebrate. Technically, Tyler, that was in Watch Hill. I hate this. What's <laughs> happening? You are just going real fast. I mean, there was so much time spent on the running. I have, <laughs> I would say, um, actually, with from, from page 153 to page 158, I have so many notes about the running 
<laughs> um, part of it was because there there was one thing where run his skin prickled and his bones felt as if they were freezing, ready to split open the light. Help her run, and Bella ran. I was wondering if that was magic or desperation or just to add extra drama to we're literally running for our lives. I also, there at one point it mentions how he had drawn Tam's sword as if to fight the flying thing. So, um, I don't know. I just found that interesting because last time we were talking about how interesting he is as a protagonist because um he doesn't necessarily fall into the same typical we're going on a hero's journey and i don't know i just kind of found that funny i was thinking oh he is ready to fight ready (laughs) to fight the screaming creature he has a lot more in common with not to make a comparison between the eye of the world and the lord of the rings (laughs) but he has a lot more in comparison with someone like like frodo maybe as opposed to more of like a modern day young adult fantasy protagonist. Whereas I feel like the more modern ones are like, okay, adventure, yeah. Um, I feel like every time I think about Frodo's relationship to the journey, he's like, I'd rather not. Is there a way to like run this back? Must I? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was also pretty impressive with Moraine doing the magic stamina touch. Yeah, Moraine shows a wide variety of abilities in this stretch of chapters that I have. Yeah, it's basically like, all of your problems are solved because I am the Aesodai. Yeah, it's just... we're gonna get to a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, so they stop, Moraine uses that magical um, endurance touch. She, I have a note that says she uses her Ace Sedai witchcraft to conjure fog to try and hide them from the drag car. Yeah, there was actually a cool moment here with the fog that I pulled out where Rand realizes that in the fog he's been holding his breath because he doesn't want to breathe Moraine's magic. And then he like realizes he's being kind of stupid and like decides to let himself breathe. I thought it was, like, a really cool moment of, like, just demonstrating the level of unease that, like, Rand has with this magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks, spooky. Also just interesting, because br- bringing fog, usually fog is used as an ominous thing, as in, the fog's rolling in, there's low visibility, bad things are happening, versus here it's used as a form of protection and using it as a positive thing ish though considering he is terrified of breathing for a while so i don't know if the, the fog was also meant to be a i don't know when, when when i think of fog rolling in it's usually this is when the spooky things are going to come get you so using it as a way to protect yourself from the spooky things coming to get you i just liked that contrast yeah interestingly we've somehow already hit all of the major plot points of this chapter uh please <laughs> At the end, Lan walks up to a house and knocks on the door and is like, I'll pay you to take us across. And the guy's like, no. And Lan just keeps showing more and more money until the guy says yes. Oh, I actually did have a note on this quote where um, the person says, the fairy goes over in the daylight, not in the night, not ever, and not in this fog, neither. 
And so I was wondering, is this reason for a safety of physical or mystical means? Is it just not really safe to cross when it's dark outside because, hey, there's no light? Or is it because there's no light with the capital L at nighttime? I mean, the capital L light is would be like saying God doesn't exist when the sun <laughs> is down. Well, who knows? Like, I'm I'm new to this world building. To what extent? I mean, I guess. I think Does it's God standard sleep? safety concerns. Yeah, okay. I, I think it's probably like a logistical issue. Okay, it's just a logistical issue. I was just wondering because he was convinced after piles of gold. So I was like, to what extent does a pile of gold get you over your terrified fear of the darkness versus just the fact that it sucks to steer in the night? Well, they don't even steer. They like pull the boat on ropes. Yeah, through some physics defying magic. Yeah. There was only. Nice. Um, one other thing that I pulled out from this chapter, um, there's a moment where they're all running from the Jakar, and they're all terrified, but then Rand looks over to Egwene and says, Egwene's face in the moonlight was smiling and excited delight. I'm like, Ugh. It's like the characterization of Egwene that happened in chapter 10 that I wasn't digging continues in strength. Continues to not be Doug. Yes. I definitely tagged something like that, and I just said puberty. It was the thing where her braid streamed behind like the horse's manes, and the gleam in her eyes was not all from the moon. Um, I And then he's just coughing and just flailing. And well, I mean, so, yeah. that's him, like, being attracted to her. But, like, this is more like, she's just a stupid girl that, like, doesn't understand that it's dangerous, <laughs> which is a little frustrating. Oh, I, I kind of saw it as her just being thrilled in 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 the danger, not because, oh my gosh, it's so fun to be in danger, but rather it's it's exhilarating to, to be in a situation like that, because she probably hasn't been in a life or death situation before. Right, but I think that's the point he's going for, is like, uh, she shouldn't be exhilarated because they could die. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Maybe that's just the depression talking, but I mean... Who, who wouldn't be excited? To almost die. And well, delighted. Yeah. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to be murdered by this vampire creature. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're going to choose your death on horseback in the moonlight by creatures that were not even supposed to be real, like, that's a pretty, yeah, but I, I understand with the, uh, <laughs> oh, she doesn't understand dynamic, but on the other hand, yeah. But yeah, not a ton happens in this chapter. So no. that's most of what I pulled out. Lots of running. Yeah. Um, chapter 12 is Across the Terran. Uh, the crew takes a minute. They stretch while the ferrymaster gets him and his uh, people ready. The fog is very thick. Uh, Rand says he, like, can't see his feet. And he almost walks with his horse off the docks. <laughs> What an idiot. Yeah. I have him described as a bumble butt here in my <laughs> notes. It's sort of, there's an interesting image where they talk about how the fairy crew has the, these torches that sort of burns away the fog. And it's sort of like a cool cinematic image of like just a bunch of people in circled by fog, even though I don't know if that's how fog works. Although it might just be Moraine being dramatic. Yeah, it could just be Moraine Fog is special. Yeah. I've convinced myself. When the Fairy Master shows up with his people, Lan, like, 
elbows the boys and is like, look like what you, you know what you're doing. And yeah. has them all like lean on their weapons. Be better. Yeah. Tom pulls out a knife or two. And like juggles them a little. <laughs> yeah. Or like he cuts his fingernails. Uh, that's perfectly normal. <laughs> Everybody gets on the ferry. Uh, Rand and Lan have a discussion about the possibility of getting robbed. And Rand is like, do you think they would really rob us? Who would do such a thing? Lan is like, it doesn't take someone evil to rob you, woolhead. Yeah. And then also talking about potentially sharing the information with with person coming after them. Um, well, no, look at this quote right where I have it. It's like, robbing a stranger is one thing, dealing with the half-men is something else entirely. And so, I, at least from, from what I was reading, it was like, oh no, what if they rob us? And then it seems like the bigger issue, Lan was... It's it's not us them rubbing us which is the issue. It's them uh, sharing our information out and therefore getting rid of our lead. That's the issue. I took that as the opposite. I took that as Rand saying like, "Are we not concerned that he's going to talk to a Merdral?" And Lan is like, "No, because dealing with a Merdral is like beyond the pale when compared to robbing us." Essentially, Lan is making the distinction between the type of bad person that would rob you and the type of bad person that would deal with Shadow Spawn. Mm. He's making that distinction, which is interesting, because essentially he says, yeah, they might rob us, but they're not dark friends, which I think is the first mention that we've had so far of dark friends. So, like, Beyond, do you have any, like, idea of, like, what it means for, like, them to be talking about dark friends? Well, one might guess it's about being friends with the darkness, but, um... Unlikely. Oh, <laughs> who could have known? Um, I'm, I'm guessing it has to do with either allied with or enabling or otherwise encouraging the spread of the darkness and the the uh, thing that's locked away with many capital names to its title <laughs> because it's bad. It's locked away in Sheol Ghoul. That, yes. At the moment of creation... So they get to the end. Uh, Lan goes to pay the ferrymaster, and then, like, as the money is transferring hands, a suspicious whirlpool appears <laughs> and destroys the ferry. And Morena's like, "Wow, that sure was suspicious. Sorry it happened." Yeah, Moraine says, "An unfortunate occurrence." <laughs> I like how much they just um, are described with their voices, as in, the voice was hollow in the fog that made her seem a shadow, and then Lana agreed in a flat voice. This yeah, should I mean, repay you. And no, it just was like, so much emotions in these voices right now. Look at them. <laughs> so surprised. And I was just like, I mean, I guess that's, it's, it's one thing to pay off people, but then to pay off people as well as re- removing uh, their way to getting back across, at least for a little bit, was uh, pretty bold. Yeah. At least because we haven't seen... I don't know if this would really count as cruelty or not, but um, more... Well, not cruelty. What's that thing? Pr- pragmatic, perhaps? Where it's where it's something that these lovely sheep herders wouldn't do because that's just not a honorable thing to do, which is to sink their boat. But on a practical survival level, you gotta do it. But so the I thing think, is, I don't even really know what it achieves. That's true. 
Um, I mean, maybe there is a concern about him talking to a Murdral, or like, maybe it would just be a general, like, a Murdral could hear him talk about, oh, it was so weird that I brought these people across in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. And they talk later about how Trollocs don't like crossing the water, so maybe it's just removing one avenue for them to do that. That is also very possible. The boys ask why Moraine did that, (laughs) because they're smart enough to figure it out, and she says, if I explained my every action to you, I would have no time for anything else. She's just... savage. It is savage, but it also sort of, like, explains a lot of, like, how she does things. Yeah. She's like, I have a reason for doing what I'm doing. I just, like, can't explain this all to you right now. Little bit of a spoiler. In book three, she says, like, almost the same thing to Perrin. She's like, you want me to explain something in a night that would take, that, like, I couldn't explain if you gave me a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a moment where um, Moraine is describing the trick she did with the fog making it like align with the curvature of the river and she says there are not 10 women in tarvalon who could do that unaided not to mention from the back of a galloping horse and it's like once again i have no clue what character robert jordan is going for with moraine in this first book because now she's gloating about how fucking good she is like (laughs) that doesn't seem right listen when you read new spring it'll all make sense (laughs) Sure. Uh, So they all head to this little hidey hole that Lan has prepared. And then Moraine sits down to have a talk with Egwene. I was glad this conversation happened because it explained a lot of things. Yeah, She she goes on the whole description of the one power and where it comes from and the male half and the female half and what it combines to be and how... While the magic source itself isn't tainted, the ability to access it through the various gender divide has been established, like the oil slick on top. Um, So it was just a pile of exposition, but I liked it because it gave context for a lot of those capital letter words, which have been slowly being dropping in more and more. And having it clearly defined as, this is what the male half of the magic is called. This is what the female half. And then I also just thought it was really lovely because um, Egwene isn't just there for uh, the fun now. Has has more of a reason to be there um, because of her potential. And um, it's interesting and... Also, I realized listening to the podcast previously, I have two adjectives, interesting and good. And those are the only ones I've used. So I'm really trying to expand this. I find it fascinating that so much information is just given like that, especially, I don't know, it seems like the previous chapter was so much running and then now they've finally taken a pause. And then right after just casually sinking the ferry, it's time to sit down and just unload some magic facts i mean i appreciated it (laughs) hashtag magic facts yeah it was just it was it was an interesting change in pace but it it was a much needed one i think because it it was it was a both boring and stressful chapter of 11 and so 12 is finally starting to explain some of the many things that are going on 
Yeah. You want to describe the uh, image of, like, the tainted slick on top of the male half of the power. And there's, like, a few other really helpful, like, images to demonstrate, like, how the power works. Like, Moraine says... The true source cannot be used up any more than the river can be used up by the wheel of a mill. The source is the river, the ice sedai, the water wheel. And it's like, wow, that explains, like, so much. Like, it's a very clear metaphor to explain exactly, like, the relationship between the channeler and the power. I I really liked that metaphor. I also think it's interesting... Um the the tools that moraine uses and then how she emphasizes that the tool itself isn't inherently powerful magic but it's a way for her to channel more directly um because she repeats that a lot because Egwene gets super excited every single time there's something slightly new and exciting about the Aesodai experience and then she's repeatedly telling about how the um specific item helps her tap into that better yeah, Egwene has that with Moraine's gem and with her staff, but interestingly, not with the Angriel that actually does what Egwene's talking about. I don't know, th- th- that's an interesting relationship between the two, because I can't tell how much like Moraine's just tolerating Egwene, or to the extent of she actually wants to encourage this development, growth, etc., what an enigmatic character. Mysterious. <laughs> uh, so chapter 13. Choices. So in the morning, uh, Moraine gives everyone... Can we, what? can we actually do uh, one more thing before the end of the chapter? Yeah, absolutely. So Rand is really pissed off at the idea of Egwene learning to become an Aes Sedai. He is and... so anti- yeah, and I was wondering if you had any reactions about that. I was wondering how much of it is it because he's like, this girl I must protect versus um, the thing you're talking about where is she still just thinking this is fun? Because um, there's a lot of fear with Air- fear regarding Aesodai and what they can do. And so is is he being protective because he doesn't want her to delve into that or is he just like being extra bigoted towards <laughs> Aesodai dynamics and just wants Moraine to leave all traces of the mystical witchery nonsense away. Okay. I think it's yeah. worth tracking. Yeah. And it, it kind of continues through the future chapters. He's, just, he's a bit grumpy. <laughs> he's just like, ugh. These things are happening. Rand is a grumpy boy. He's a brooder. Yes. <sighs> I mean, I guess every protagonist, someone has to be the brooder. So it's that one. All right. <clears throat> so if I'm allowed to move on. To make yeah. a choice. To make a choice to go to chapter 13. Choices. So they all head out now that it's morning time on the way out of their hidey hole, Matt makes a comment about what'll happen when they get home and how it won't take very long before <laughs> they are back. And Egwene is like, you're a woolhead. Yeah, the boys also have a minute where they are wondering about, like, they see a farm 
and they're like, well, the farm looks the same as back home, but we're so far away, it has to be different. So far away. So far away. Like, half a day's journey, if that. (laughs) And then we begin to skip forward in time. Uh, The lack of any shadow spawn along their way... uh, See, like, the boys feel like there's more tension building. They're like, well, there haven't been any shadow spawn yet, so when they show up, it's going to be extra bad. We have to train with these weapons. Uh, I will say, considering that, like, this is the training that Matt and Perrin get, um, I mean, later on we find out that Matt, like, already knows how to use the quarterstaff, and they all know how to use the bow, but, like, for Perrin at least... To my understanding, this is like, this is the training that he gets. There is no, I mean, he practices over time, but I don't remember him getting any other explicit training. Well, he's already strong because he is a blacksmith apprentice, so he has the strength and we know he's a big boy because he's just probably like gentle giant. So uh, he probably has the strength already. It's just the, the skills are refining that potential strength into things he can specifically direct but even then rand makes mention that like he doesn't the way that he has to use the sword is not a way that he would have ever thought about using the sword that like it's not i mean maybe it's different for perrin with the axe but rand at least is like there is no like there is some strength involved but it's not just a matter of strength I mean, it's not like Perrin's suddenly a weapons master after this, so I don't really have a problem with it. No, 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 no. He's not a master. He just... He can chop people up. Oh, yeah. It's just an abridged sports montage. It's like a hint. Pretty you much. Know? And Lan alludes to telling them to use the flame in the void, which I think Yes. <laughs> And then Rand's like, oh, that thing? You mean the thing my dad taught me about? And then the warders just give him a look like, hmm. Who are you? Who who is this? What is this? Uh, So during this trip, Rand and Egwene have a fight. I don't even remember about what. I don't Uh, know that it's- It continues to be Rand being bigoted against Aes Sedai. Yeah, oh, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. He, he gets upset about Egwene because she's changed her hairstyle, which seems significant having loose hair is for girls versus braided hairs for women. And so for her to do that, he, he brings up the fact that back at home, the women's circle would be ashamed of hers. And he, he emphasizes her name as in like, you're Egwene Alvare from Iman's Field. Being like, this is your roots. This is who you are. It was just an interesting ah, the adjective again. It 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 seemed really defensive, as if almost to remind himself as well. I am brand of Althor. To I- I'm only a sheep herder, just like you are only a woman from this area. But it's it's not really working. Yeah, this is a bit of a yikes for Rand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he also is like, why do you want to get to Tarvalon so bad? What are you, a dark friend? And he like says that right in front of Moraine. Yeah. So aggressive. It's like, you really think Aes Sedai are dark friends still? Like, what is going on in your mind? 
It's just an elaborate ruse. Yeah. And then, once again, Matt jinxes everything. Saying, oh, reg- regarding the Trollocs, says, You know, I think we've lost them for good. <gasps> Another stares into camera moment. <laughs> Matt is the absolute jinxer. Yeah, Matt says that, he says, I think we've lost them. Do we even need to go to Tarvalon? As long as we're out of the village on an adventure, we could go anywhere. Maybe we should go to Ilian instead. Uh, because Aesidai are icky, and I don't want to go to a city full of them. And Moraine shows up and is like, you're a dumb. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. Before I let the Dark One have you, I will destroy you myself. Is what I also said. highlighted that quote. That's a good quote. <laughs> she will do what it takes, so you're going to do the thing. And she, yeah, she would and could. I mean, that's like a pivotal line for, like, why they stick with her. Yeah. Like, she is fine with employing the fact that they're terrified of her. Mm-hmm. So, one of the nights that they are out on the road, because what has started happening is this uh, Moraine Egwene time that they have to talk about the power. They, like, sneak off into the woods. So, during one of these, Rand uh, goes and follows them. And we get more info on some stuff that I would trust beyond more with. The earth, wind, fire, water, and spirit, and how guys get earth and fire, and Egwene really, really wanting to have an explanation for um, who tried to free the Dark One and the Forsaken, and um, really wants to have a clear-cut good-bad dynamic there, and then... Moraine talks a lot about you would not have thrown custom and convention over the fence um, if, if you hadn't left where you were from and talking about all the changes that um, have occurred and will occur. I do find it a little eh in the, in the response to why do they have the strongest powers? Because Earth and Fire are generally pretty solidly like, yep, th- those are strong. Just thinking about it as like fire and earth elements. And then she says something about how is there a rock so hard that wind and water cannot wear it away? A fire so strong that the water cannot quench it or wind snuff it? And that felt a little bit about how when people are like, but women have power in relationships. They have the power of sex. Or if a man is the uh, head making the decisions, the woman's the neck. It felt a little like that, which um, was a bit disappointing for me. You shouldn't have to justify the strength of a woman's power by saying how much it can manipulate change or otherwise shift the the male dynamic. That's not how... I mean... I don't know. Uh, That wasn't the read that I had on it as like a direct opposition, but more as like the mindset was not. Yeah. Like they have different uses. Like, what are you going to use Earth for when. Not, what are you going to use Earth for? But like. Like, Egwene is thinking about it in the context of like what is going to make the biggest boom. Yeah. 
But like what Moraine is saying is, well, that's not how it works. Like Aesidae don't exist to make big booms at Trollocs. They do a bunch of things. And so being better at these two things doesn't mean that everyone else is worse. Yeah, I, I guess because there's the layer of Aesidae in it and not just man versus woman, but Aesidae versus the common people. It, it just, I feel like there's so many other ways you can describe the strength of water or wind without talking about how it interacts with earth and fire. Mm-hmm. Like you could talk about wind affecting breath or water being in all of our bodies or things like that. Kind of like Avatar The Last Airbender showing the elements versus just being like, oh, but it can also do things. If what you want is people getting creative with the applications of elements, you should continue reading this series. Thank you. I will. But fine. Fine. <laughs> I will read the book. Um, I, I feel like a lot of the questions I have and a lot of the, the readings and how I see things, it continues to be a wait until the next book and all will be revealed. There's sadly a lot of flight. I mean, at least in the first book, there's definitely a lot of like, just give it until the next one. Um, I also just another thing I found interesting with the whole exposition drop that occurs in this chapter or in the chapters was about the emphasis on the old blood being in the two rivers. Mm-hmm. And so that made me just wonder, is um, magic and all that potential also in the dna genetic aspects or is it just like because your family is here and because you live here i don't know it it was an interesting thing because to emphasize blood so much it is is it in the like actual blood like if you get your blood drawn you're like type b or whatever and here's all the weird little facts about your blood and all the dna you carry or is it more in the artsy magic way of like blood is your life source and over time, different powers through different family lines, through different locations. And I'm guessing it's the second one, but when I first read it through, I was like, oh, magic is genetics? Well, Tyler, can we spoil talents? I uh, I mean, are talents even genetic? Well, that's the thing. It's There is magic that isn't like capital M magic in this world. That is instead capital T talents. <laughs> yes. Like, essentially, like, there are things that people can do that are, like, could be, like, construed as supernatural that doesn't involve them, like, channeling the one power. And men. So yeah. It's like men. Exactly. Um, so there is, like, precedent for, like, something sort of fantastical happening. And, like, yes, their blood is definitely more than a metaphor. Like, Matt suddenly knows another language. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, like capital T talent is a supernatural occurrence that isn't like channeling the one power. It's something the pattern's getting a little extra. Okay. Which we'll get to Min in just a minute. When we get to Bayerlon. Also Min is best girl. <laughs> yes, so they finally get to Bayerlon. And the boys are, like, losing their minds over how many buildings there are. And 
Tom is like in the background dying of laughter. Yeah. We repeatedly hit this mark of like comparative scale. Yeah. Which is a thing because they're two rivers woolheads. Yeah. <laughs> Don't know anything. So when they arrive, we get some information about some group called White Cloaks. Oof. Do you have stuff about them? Um, well, we see more of them in a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, let's see here. What what page do I have marked down for that? Page 188. They just stalk around in those white cloaks looking down their noses at honest folk, walking the light, they say, and it's an order. It seemed like people who believe that they are just, so everything they do is justice, and it's just gross. I see that you, too, have read any piece of fiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a lot of self-righteousness, and it yeah. felt um, very fanatical, much religious fever Fever. Yeah. Have you have you even pronounced that word? That fervor. Fervor. Yes. Much that. Is this lawful evil or lawful something else? Um, it's lawful neutral. I think. Okay. It's it's sort of interesting because it's also in line with the sort of like fanaticalness that we see in the downfall of Shadar Logoth. Yeah. There's definitely some parallels between the Children of the Light and the fall of Shatter Logoth. Hmm. Parallels in this multi-book series? Unlikely. <laughs> so, they name drop something called... Oh god, I'm gonna try. The the Carathon? Carathian Cycle? Carathian? Jesus. The Carathian Cycle. Uh, which are the prophecies of the dragon, which mentions something called a city called Tyr and something called the sword that cannot be touched, all in capitals. And um, there's an interesting line where like Rand talks about sort of the paradox of the prophecy of the sword that cannot be touched. And Tom says, a prophecy that was easily fulfilled would not be worth much. Now would it? And I think that's sort of like telling the audience is like, we're going to get convoluted getting to some places, but that's sort of the point. For the record, I just looked at the pronunciation guide. It's Koreathon. Koreathon? Koreathon. That sounds like something you would call somebody who watches too many Korean uh, <laughs> um, dramas. <laughs> you know, like, uh, they, they have really, really impressive uh, shows sometimes. Soap operas, yeah. Let's go on a Koreathon. Yeah, you know, like watching those Korean soap operas. Sorry, de detracting, but that's that's just what immediately I thought of. Yeah, uh, and they're talking about those prophecies because this gate man has sort of he rumors about the idea that this false dragon in Gildon can actually channel, and that some people think he might actually be the dragon reborn. And that's a big development. Seems pretty likely to me. I don't know that there's any other people that can channel. Not men, at least. I also just found it interesting how Tom notes that none of the these prophecy stories 
would be told in the two rivers especially not in Iman's field because the wisdom would skin them alive if they could so it just made me wonder do the older people know these stories exist do do a select few know about these prophecies and they're just nope don't talk about it don't do it to to what extent is uh the knowledge about these prophecies kept from people i don't think it's like kept from them it's like you know how nanave got really mad at the idea that someone said the dark one's name it's sort Uh... of like that it's like sort of like just in poor taste to talk about like they think of it in like the same vein as that okay yeah okay and like their knowledge of it pretty much extends to like they think of it as something a gleeman would talk about essentially so they finally get inside and they head to the inn that they're staying at called the stag and lion chapter 14 is called the stag and lion so they get checked in. Moraine insists on seeing someone named Min, who I'm sure won't be important, uh, pivotal, and the best. <laughs> air, Q air horn noises. Q air horn. The boys go to take a soak in the tubs, and Matt is talking to the attendant. Uh, <gasps> my note says, like he's training for the biggest idiot in the world <laughs> championship finals. <laughs> Yeah, just, a good chunk of my notes for this section is just me saying, Ugh. How is Matt still alive? It seems like any of his good sense instincts are just not there. And it seems like the other two guys sometimes try to shush him, but it usually seems not very effective. I think no one in Iman's field has the heart to kill him. Oh... <laughs> Yeah, I guess they've never been in actual danger before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like the biggest danger is someone boxing their ears. Because they're a wolf. That probably doesn't help, you know? That's some potential brain damage adding to his own difficulties. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It was just like, really, Matt? Really? Any Trollocs. You just salty. let me tell you about Trollocs. Let me tell <sighs> you about the exact events that led us here and why I shouldn't be telling you. And Lan shows up and pretends to feel human emotions. Um, and then does feel the human emotion of anger and almost kills Matt on the spot. Um, oh no, I wrote cool headedness, but I definitely meant wool headedness. Um, so. They get out of the tubs, uh, Matt, I'm sorry, not Matt, uh, Rand catches a glimpse of best girl. Well, he catches someone of, Rand thought it was a girl, though her dark hair was cut short and she wore a man's shirt and trousers. Yeah, I wonder who that is. What an icon. It's it's significant. Main is significant. Well, no, I know, I, I was just kind of like... Assuming gender is awkward was was my original thought. And I was like, oh, Rand's point of view. This is Rand's point of view. This is Rand's point of view for for a lot of it was just reminding myself. Yeah. Well, spoilers, Min definitely identifies as female. But like it's just like unusual like Rand thinks of it as just insanely unusual to see a woman like wearing trousers. It's like this kind of world. Yeah. 
yeah, I think it's more a statement on the culture rather than a... You'd honestly... I mean... Also, this book was released in 1990. Yeah. Wasn't it 89? I can't fact check. The literal 30 years ago. Yeah, and I mean... Welcome to our 30-year anniversary podcast. In the, um, I believe it was even in the 80s when my mom was a teacher, it was considered rebellious to wear pants as a professional woman. You you had to have a skirt suit because no good woman would wear pants like that in a professional manner or out in public. Like you could have a jumper or a play suit at your house that you'd chill in, but the moment you were outside, you were supposed to present yourself in a different way. I think the rules we place upon women for how they dress can be really constrictive. Tyler's given me a look, so I'm not going to talk about that. But um, I mean, it's like, yeah, we all agree. It's just in this world. They're like... <laughs> So Rand and Egwene like pass each other in the hall, I think, and they almost talk, but Egwene <laughs> is herself, and Rand is like, "Well, if she's going to be herself, then I'm going to be myself," and <laughs> they refuse to talk to each other. It's yeah. it's ridiculous. They're like both about to apologize, and then are like, "You know what? No, the pride is too strong. You first. So they go and sit down in their, like, private dining room, and Lan, like, waits by the door and then sticks his head out to make sure that they're alone. Um, And I just have a little semi-spoilery note here that says, like, this isn't how magic works in the future of the series. Like, later on, but even, I'm referring to a book called New Spring... Like, later on in writing, chronologically earlier, uh, like, even accepted levels know how to make a room inaudible from the inside. Is this kind of how the Trolloc speaking is never acknowledged again? Yes. It's like if this scene, it's like if you went back and rewrote this entire book, I don't know that this moment would be in it. Mm. Because... It's, like, trivially easy to make it so you can't be listened in on. So they eat, and then they go to sleep, and there's a big old important dream sequence. Wait, first they say the name Logain. Logain? <laughs> and then we get a dream sequence. <laughs> I'm pointing at Beyond. Okay, yes, I'm gonna say things. I was just, um, is... Does the dream sequence happen after Lan talks about how he, he suspects everyone ever and it's not a joke? Uh, yeah. Probably. Okay. Yeah, I have the, both of that in my notes. I, I thought that quote was interesting because it just tells a little bit more about Lan. And then also Tom makes a comment, uh, these country folk loose in a city. And it just made me think of um, the John Mulaney horse in a hospital bit. There's a horse in the hospital. There's never been one before. And so it just felt a little bit like that to super emphasize how out of place these uh, protagonist boys and Egwene are. Well, plus they're all clearly idiots. (laughs) Yeah. 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 
the exact thing that Lan says is, until we reach Tarvalon, I suspect everyone. Once there, I'll suspect only half. Yeah. Which is some black Aja foreshadowing. Lan <laughs> is the coolest. I love him. He's my son. We sort of skipped over talking about the Ajas, because Moraine mentions it earlier, but whatever. She mentions it, but I don't think she talks much about it, does she? Nah. She just sort of, like, mentions that there's different fractions of Aes Sedai. Yeah. It, in, amongst the other expedition, it didn't necessarily stand out to me. Um, but the dream. So, uh... No one could have ever seen a sky like that. It could not exist. And then everything else in the room was shown true, but not him. Uh, this is some really poetic dream and also interesting in how it's reality, but not, and how much it takes Rand to realize it is a dream versus reality. The uh, person in the dream is pretty spooky. Uh, <laughs> yeah he has eyes like endless pits of fire <laughs> yeah just like you know what i like to see in my conversing partners cavernous flames and also how the uh man says you cannot get away from me that easily is it a dream does it matter and uh how while talking the man's features would change in a way that was distinctly not human well clearly already not human because humans don't just casually have fireball eyes but even more strange and obscure and uh then with the, the food aspects that the drink the the table with the goblet and the thirst and how thirsty rand was and uh it seemed a lot about temptation and uh whether or not you go into it but then also a lot of information is shared such as uh the name of this person uh, say it baalzaman they said it was was was, was, is is it baalzaman i've always said baalzaman but yeah yeah, but the I picked out this line. It's like Rand's like, "Who are you?" And then he's like, "Some call me Balsamon." And then Rand is like the opposite of that "let me in" meme. Yeah, it's like <laughs> "let me out." Let me out. Let me out. Yeah, and then a lot of name dropping on regards to uh, previous. Uh, heroes or other potential people with powers how they have been used and then discarded and um ran tries to be like but you're bound away in shao agul this isn't real and you're under a rock and <laughs> you can't hurt me um and then uh our friendly demon man is like i stood Next to lose their in Kinslayer's shoulder, and uh, it exposed them to the horrors of what had occurred, and made this tremendous historical moment occur. Would you hey, say? You saw that. Would you say that his comment is, "It was I who told him to kill his wife, his children, and all his blood, and every living person who loved him or whom he loved. It was I who gave him the moment of sanity to know what he had done." 
Yeah, yeah. In fact, yes. Good job. Beautiful <laughs> job. Excellent. Hey, we saw that. It was a team effort. Yeah. And so then, um, yeah. So then Balsamon kills a rat to sort of make a point, which will come up later. They call me a rat slayer. <laughs> it's basically, I will whisper and whisper with you forever. You can't escape me. And even if you go tell somebody else, they're going to use you until you're dry of any potential either. Yeah. You're going to die either way. Look at this rat. Yeah. Check out this rat. <laughs> and at the end of the chapter, Rand thinks, were the dreams really bad enough for him to ask the help of an Aes Sedai? Which I've also noted. Ugh. Yes, Rand, it is bad. Ask for help. <laughs> My note says, Rand decides that this dream isn't worth exploring, talking about, or getting help from the person who explicitly mentioned getting help for the dreams. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can almost get it because it's like... I guess Balsamon's just, like, a really persuasive liar. Like, he's the father of lies, after all. And, like, he sort of planted the seed where it's like, you're, you don't want to be an Aes Sedai puppet, do you? Yeah. I'm not an Aes Sedai puppet. I'm no puppet. No puppet. You're puppet. puppet. <laughs> I'm just a simple shepherd from the two rivers. And my father is Tam Althor. I am normal and everything is okay. Chapter 15, Strangers and Friends. Uh, so Rand wakes up in the morning with... Does he have a headache or is he just sleep deprived? I think a bit of both. He certainly acts like he's sleep deprived. It seems a little bit like a dream hangover. Like it's it's still like remnants of it. The, mm -hmm. the exhaustion. Uh, so he runs down to the kitchen to grab some food. He hears that there were like a million dead rats all with their backs broken he's like huh like, it was real yeah people had to like wade through a tide of rat corpses to get to where they were going this morning he goes back up to his room uh goes and finds perrin and then it turns out that they all had the same dream last night not worth exploring. Absolutely not worth exploring. Not worth talking to Moraine. Uh, it is worth leaving the inn. <laughs> because nothing says safety like the devil appeared in my dreams, killed a rat, and then rats were dead in real life. I Time know to what wander I some alleys. Yeah, I should leave and go expose myself. But before that, he talks to men. Yeah. Uh, I haven't noted their conversation is the definition of cryptic. <laughs> uh, the only thing that is relevant at this moment is that Rand and Egwene aren't meant to be together. Yeah. Min says, she loves you too, but she's not for you, or you for her, not the way you both want. Shipper, Which... this is not your one true pairing. Sorry. So says the pattern. <laughs> At one point, I mentioned something like that to Tyler about like shipping Rand and Egwene, and he literally texted me back like, "Imagine shipping Rand and Egwene in 2019." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think people would ship those two. So, uh, Bion, did any um, cryptic min images stick out at you? Yeah. Do you have it highlighted? Um, I just like just the the, the way she introduced herself, like a shepherd with a heron mark sword. 
That's almost enough to make me believe in anything. What trouble are you in, down country boy? It's just, her personality is great. And it's like, good for you, man. Congratulations. Yeah, later she tells Tom to go juggle something. Yeah. Yeah, it's just like, smooth and good. And then, um, for some reason, I'm just kind of like seeing her as small and curvy and sassy i can get down with that and just (laughs) and just being really no nonsense and just wearing trousers and having short hair because it's practical okay like she's seeing sparks around all these people she's in the city just doing her best she's wearing her pants i don't know that's that that's kind of just was i was getting like probably a girl that could fix a tire and do all these other things capably better than you that, that's, likely yeah yeah that's just kind of what i got from her but um i do like how she talked about um the surface versus the underneath of um of of the people when when she sees them like the ones who who know say you walk around all smiles and politeness just as meek and soft as butter but underneath, you're all as tough as old oak roots in regards to the two rivers again. So clearly the two rivers is significance and the people there are interesting. I don't know. It's just um, how it keeps repeating in the way that two rivers is different than the other aspects of the country is something I appreciate. Being like, this is where they're from and these are the weird quirks they have and this is why our protagonists are just wandering the city after an ominous dream. Yeah. Turns out Two Rivers folk are weirdos. Everyone thinks so. Yeah. So after their conversation, uh, Rand is walking around and he runs into Padden Fane. Uh, Fane has been experiencing some bad luck, some bad times for Padden Fane. Fane says he pretty much ran straight from the two rivers to Berlon, and he's wearing, like, tattered rags. That's a long way to run. Yeah. And Rand tells him where they're staying. Yeah, he's like, we're staying here. God. He's just so trusting. They're so dumb. There's so many cues that things are not alright with this Pad and Fane person. Yeah, on my first read, I thought he was going to, like, go report them to the White Cloaks. That was my thought. Mm-hmm. But instead... Uh, Matt reports himself to the White Cloaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Matt's like, we're staying here from these hours to these hours. Come beat us up. Come at me. <laughs> Rand runs into Matt, and they compare notes on the dream before some White Cloaks show up. And are like, swing first, Rand. And Rand's like, you swing first. And they just go back and forth until one of the White Cloaks sees... Well... What? Well, this is after Matt decides to actively prank them. Yeah. Oh my god, you're like, right. I blocked it out. <laughs> like, it's it's just like, police, but like, extra fanatical religious police. It's like if the police hated you specifically, but it's everyone. (laughs) I mean, police do hate specific groups already. But, um, yes, yeah, like, who, why would you do that? Like, 
any yeah. sense says don't mess around with those people. But but he messes around with those people. Yeah. On my first read, this is around the point where I stopped treating the characters like characters and started thinking of them as like walking stupid plot devices. <laughs> which doesn't get better by the end of this book. It gets better in the subsequent books. But for the course of this book, it feels like I'm sort of reading a fable with characters that are just doing pre-prescribed things to make a plot happen. And yeah. a lot of that involves them doing stupid stuff. Yeah. The height of stupidity comes later in this section, though. Yes. Um, God, he's so... So they're harassing the White Cloaks, and they see the heron-marked sword, and they're like, maybe we should not do this right now the town guard shows up and the white cloaks leave and Rand's feeling real funky yeah he feels funky fresh he's like super excited to be alive yeah he feels like things are very vivid and he feels great yeah he feels really great yeah it's really strange maybe he's just excited from the sword fight he almost had Maybe the dreams are driving me crazy. Maybe. <laughs> Just maybe, though. So Rand and Matt go back to the inn. They tell Tom about the dream. Perrin shows up and is like, I also had the same dream. And Tom is like, it sounds like a good idea that you didn't go and talk to the Aes Sedai. Let's keep not talking to the Aes Sedai. Yeah. Oh, and it turns out Nenev is here. Surprise. You think a little thing like a sunken fairy could stop her. Great. A second good character has arrived. Rand is pulled away from this conversation with Tom and the boys by Min. She says, hey, whatever's going on with all of you being super hype in my vision, uh, Nineveh is also that. And Rand is like, no No way. <laughs> and... Tom is like, hey, we don't have time for you to be making out in the corner. And Min says, go juggle something, because she's a hero. And then we go to the other hero. Yeah, uh, Tom and the boys go back into that private dining room where Nenev and Moraine are having a stare down. Egwene is trying to melt into the wall. <laughs> um, finally, everyone is working together in this room. Nice worm reference. Thanks. And this is where we start seeing the braid tugging in earnest. Yes. I mean, there's just a lot of things to tug your braid about. Like, these people are here, and they're in danger, and they won't come back. Where are their senses? There's an Aesodai. How dare she? I mean, there's just a lot of things going on. Oh, I kind of want to take this opportunity. Beyond. Did Tyler show you the casting for the show? They're so cool. I was listening to the podcast for the first episode, and you're like, I guess they're all just white. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, two days later, they revealed the casting. I am so happy to be proven wrong. I am so happy that even though it's Eurocentric, it acknowledges the fact that brown people have existed in European countries for ages upon ages. It becomes less Eurocentric as time goes on. Yes, but I'm I'm just, I'm so glad it's not a bunch of pale, pasty, pale people that they're going to tan to become darker. 
I think they're really gorgeous. I like that they're unknowns. I think there's a lot of potential just in like how they're described and just just honestly from those pictures we have of their faces. I was just like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think it looks really cool. The only one that she doesn't have words for is Lan. He, <sighs> I forget what he. Whoa, 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 whoa! What was that? Uh, you need to I run did, that back. I didn't really love the fact that the minute Lan starts talking, it says abruptly. Nanave buried her face in her cup. Rand's eyes widened. She was blushing, and for me, that's a bit of a yikes on the female writing. <laughs> It seems like Jesse's a lot better about pointing out these things than you are, honey. What are you trying to say? Maybe you need to consider your lens and your worldview a little bit. But yeah, thank you, Jesse, for observing that. Um, I I also wish she had things to say about uh, Mr. Suspicious Man. Um, Can you be more specific, please? <laughs> I, oh, I, I was referring to Mr. Suspicious in regards to the fact that he suspects everyone. Oh, okay. Not in the fact that he's, like, super suspicious beyond just being, like, casually super powerful and somehow being super connected to Moraine. But yeah, I I think she adds an interesting dynamic to the whole group of them, and it works a lot better because it's not just Rand's mopey mope. It's more mm-hmm. like, Rand is like, wait, I'm part of this. We're part of this. We're doing a thing. We're and, part of the pattern. Yeah, the pattern. And I just appreciate it because um, it, it gets Rand out of his funk a bit to, to take a step back and consider why is he doing this? Why is this important? What is he What is he trying to do and how? After uh, Nenev is finished upbraiding them. <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, they all step out. It's just Moraine and Nave left. Uh, Moraine's like, listen, let me handle this. Rand gets lost in thought in the hallway, and he ends up just, like, standing next to the door until Nave opens it, however later it is. Uh, she tells him about what's been going on in the village, how people are like, we should go, we should not go, we should go now, we should go later. And Rand has, like, a mild mental breakdown in the hallway because of his, uh, listen, it's just because Tam Althor is his father that he has some issues about it. His father is very important to his identity. Who is his father? It is clearly the fellow sheep loving person. Sheep lovers. Tam with, magical potential history no magic no magic a simple shepherd simple shepherd with no interesting backstory at all speaking of which uh nene mentions that in her private discussion with moraine moraine was sort of trying to pump her for information about whether any of the three boys were born outside of the two rivers yeah it's like nah man i ain't no snitch well, the answer that Nanave gives to Rand when he asks is very, like, very Aesidai, like, not answering the question that he asked, but answering a very similar question to sound like it's the right one. 
she's really good at it already. Um, so we move on to chapter 17, Watchers and Hunters. Rand heads into the common room where he meets up with Matt and Perrin and they're listening to Tom tell a story uh, before they all start singing and we get a little bit of the song, which I have down as very Tolkien-esque, just in the like, now the characters are singing. And also, here's the lyrics to the song. I definitely skimmed that part. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Although, then Rand dances with Nanave, and then dances with Moraine. And then does it all again. Yeah, I'm not sure if this is out of character. Moraine would dance. Nanave might dance. I think that's also observed in the chapter itself. Like, I've never seen Nanave dance before, but then it yeah, was like... Yeah, he does. But, but what if it's because, because of her role in the village, she couldn't frolic around like this? Yeah. Which so is also that, fair. That's... That's justified out of characterness. That yeah. like actually makes her character better, so I can appreciate that. Yeah. Um, when they're done dancing, Lan tells them that they have been being spied on by the White Cloaks, and that uh, they'll be leaving in the morning. But first, Rand has got to get a nice glass of milk. A nice glass of, <laughs> of ice-cold milk before he goes night-night. He needs some milk. <laughs> uh, while he's coming back with his glass of milk, there's a merdrill there. Surprise. Surprise. And the merdrill is like, Rand, you're gonna die. Your soul belongs to Shale Ghoul. And Rand's like, I can't do anything because I'm stunned. Uh, Rand is just sitting there in his dizzy animation. When Land shows up and is like, be gone, Murdrill. At this point, Land like runs back upstairs and tells everybody like, hey, we gotta go. Like, yeah, we're leaving now. Yeah. Remember that time we were leaving in the morning? We're leaving now. I feel like that's a continued trend of the escaping. Like, we should leave soon. And then it turns in, we're leaving now. <laughs> we're leaving not as fast as I would like to. Yeah, so everybody packs up, they head back to the gates, and there's some white cloaks there who are like, hey, don't let them out. These are dark friends. These are dark friends. It's the currently dark outside, and they're not <laughs> our friends. Uh, Moraine pulls a sneaky on him and grows to like 50 feet tall and yeah. like summons thunder. Moraine turning into giant Moraine is just something I put on the list of, like, what? <laughs> yeah, like, I feel like, god, I hate to say this, I feel like that's something Gandalf would do, and Absolutely. so therefore it's something that Moraine would do. Yeah, I think it might be in an upcoming chapter where I just wrote Gandalf as a comment, because I was like, wow. battle. Yes, where we're like, that the, the staff hits the ground. Yes. I was just like, this is a you shall not pass moment. We'll get there. But first, once they're out of Berlon, they notice that the stag and lion has gone up in flames. Uh, 
there's a whole discussion amongst the group about whether to go back, how much they could help, how much it's their fault. Um, Moraine says, like, we could go back, but, like, they already know that we're there. So if we go back, we're just walking right back into their clutches, and that's not great. It's just some interesting morality things regarding the, the characters and where they stand on doing good in general versus doing good for themselves yeah moraine i think this no go i think this pretty well demonstrates what she was saying earlier where it's like if i have to explain everything i do we'll be here all day and this is like one of the rare occasions she like bothers to explain yeah i think it's also very much on her thing where um spoilers there's a section later on where she's like um I want to train Egwene. I think she'll be a great Aes Sedai. But, like, I would throw her in the trash to get those three boys back without a second thought. Um, so I think it's very much in line with her being like, the only thing that matters is getting these three to Tarvalon. And as they leave, Rand thinks about the stag and lion and says he hoped that Min was alright. Hmm. I hope Min is alright too. Chapter 18 is called The Camelin Road. So they travel for days. Uh, they're not allowed to stop for too long or to build a fire. Nenave um, is trying to flex on Moraine with her knowledge of herbs, and Moraine keeps brushing her off. Eventually, they hear a trollicorn in the distance, and they're like, we gotta pick up some speed. And this goes on for like five pages. Yeah, where they just keep getting trollicorns closer and closer. Um, there Lan are trollocs nearby, yeah. says Lan. The trollocs uh, are herding them as if they are the sheeple. Uh, Lan rides off to try and buy them some time, and Moraine calls him the last lord of the Seven Towers. Uh, my note says, God, Lan is so cool. <laughs> I, don't know, I feel like if, if anybody is ever called the last something, I feel like their death flag also increases tenfold. Hmm. Especially with seven being a magically significant number, and I'm sure very significant to this series. It's just like, I'm linked with this person, and we'll know if the other one dies. Also, he is the last of this thing. I'm wondering if you are aware of any parallels between a um, human that assists a magical character in a story on a journey, and he is the last uh, lord or maybe ruler, uh, king, maybe, of some sort of place, and uh, really good outdoorsman, really good with a sword. Um, I mean, I can't think of any characters like that, so I just didn't know. Yeah. Say it. <laughs> Say its name. Say his name. We're all thinking it. Can you actually say it? I'm bad at pronouncing all those names. Aragorn. Yeah. Aragorn. I said it. I not I, like. I feel like I'd pronounce it like ear or something. So thank you. What are you talking about? I know what the character talk. I'm just really bad at names. It's not important. What is important is that the sound of trollicorns continue to gain on the group. Uh, Lance comes back and says there's got to be like 500 of them. Um, we're treated to like every couple minutes, the horns get a mile closer. And then he says, um, they're definitely going to catch us. 
and there's a place we could go where they wouldn't follow. And Moraine says, like, no, no way, we will not go there. They come over a hill, and they see a group of Trollocs, and the group charges. They have a pretty great battle cry going in. And Matt's like, surprise, I speak another language. Karai on Kaldazar. Karai on Elisande. All Elisande. The old blood is strong. The old blood is strong. How many times are they going to tell us that the old blood is strong, especially uh, from these people from the two rivers? I'm in book three and the old blood continues to be strong. Rand says that he f- has forgotten all of the lessons about how to fight and he's pretty much just like chopping with the sword. Yeah, there's actually a pretty intense bit with like him being described as being like dragged off his horse. Yeah. It's actually pretty in-depth and pretty intense. Yeah, like Matt almost does get got. He's got a noose around his neck, which, you know, just standard Matt stuff. Um, Lan 1v1's a murderal. Yeah, chops off his head. Yeah. And then Moraine does something that isn't reminiscent of any other fantasy stories. Totally not Gandalf. At all. Um, yeah, so they, like, break free, and then Moraine does a you shall not pass, like, creates a rent in the earth that spews fire. And this is interesting because she says that she's not as powerful as she could be, which is just, like... Did she use the Angriel for this? I she think did, she did. Right? Yeah. It's just, like, so So an Aesodai has this much potential. Also, I do enjoy how... Um, their, their first battle with the boys, they're not exactly doing super amazing. Like, they might have be having all these weird dreams, and they might be super important and going on this grand adventure, but at the same time, they're still very much in their beginning stages, so they're not instantly, like... Badasses. Yeah, yeah. They're, they'll, they'll get there once they survive all these things by being scrappy. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, Moraine doing her big ol' magic... Uh, just like the point where Matt does his prank against the White Cloaks made me lose all sense of investment in the characters, this made me lose all so- sense of investment in the magic system. <laughs> in, on my first read, at least. I was gonna say, like, at least in the first book. Yeah, like, on my first read, I was like, okay. So, there's no reason for me to, like, think about anything. It'll just be like... I think the thing you're supposed to think is, like... Moraine has one big shot she can do at any given point in time. And so, like, you should only be worried in the time in between the one big shot and the next time she gets to rest. But, like, that's even taking a step back. I don't think you're supposed to be worried about that in the story. I just mean, like, I think you as the reader should only be worried during that time. It's not even about being worried. It's just more like, I don't know what this magic is. I don't feel like I like understand it at all, and it feels like Moraine is like absurdly powerful. Just yeah, like, for, like magic should have rules, so why does she keep breaking them? Moraine is like one of the most powerful Sedai running around, but yeah, until significantly later in the story, you don't understand much about the magic system, and like certainly in the first book, I think it's clear every time. Moraine uses or doesn't use the power. 
that Jordan just, like, didn't have it hammered out yet. Okay, so can you tell me that Moraine growing to, like, 150 feet is consistent with what you know of the magic system? Absolutely not. No, that's what I'm saying, (laughs) is, like, I don't think that that's consistent. I think that that's something that he just didn't uh, fully understand yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas some, and in a similar way, like, not making the room immune to eavesdropping. Um, Mm -hmm. Versus, like, creating a rent in the earth with fire is, like, probably in line with what she could do. With an ongirl, I just don't think that it's, I don't know that the way that she then deals with the kickback on it to her energy is like necessarily how it's always presented. But anyway. So that's the magic. And then Moraine is like, the old blood is still strong. Yeah. And Rand thinks, maybe that means the Trollocs are after Matt and not me. It's God all Matt's fault. Because, like, this is another thing with, like, the trope awareness we were talking about before. It's like, we as the reader expect Rand to be the important one. But, like, if you're really coming into this with, like, no preconceptions at all, like, it would be sort of interesting coming into this thing of it as sort of, like, a mystery. It's like, which is the important one? And, like, this could, like, be part of that. It would have been fun if I had any semblance of that being my view. If only... So Moraine pushes them forward and is like, hey, uh, we need to go. That's not going to hold them for very long. And Lan comes back with the comments about, like, you know, there's one place the Trollocs won't go. And Moraine says, fine, we'll do it. So they go to this broken down city where there's clearly no one alive. And Moraine says, like, hey, this place isn't cool. Uh, it used to be called Eridol, but now it's Shadar Logoth. Which literally sounds like shadow, and as we know, dark things are bad and the shadows are spooky. As we know, there are shadows waiting in Shadar Logoth in chapter 19, shadows waiting. Sorry, I thought I was a host. <laughs> that means any of us could also be a host. A host. So they find a place to rest in the ruins of this city. Um, They dismount, they set up camp. Matt is like clearly distracted. Moraine accepts some tea-based help from Neneve. And Tom goes off to smoke in the corner. (laughs) I appreciated that Neneve, like, even though she's sort of like stubborn and is like not loving being with Moraine, like, her need to help people trumps that, and I think that's a well-defined character trait. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things about her. So Matt is daydreaming, and he pulls the other two outside to discuss, like, hey, you know, we've still got a few hours of light. We should go out and see the city. There's nobody else here. It could be fun for us. Uh, <sighs> so they're palling around the ruins, and... They get into no trouble, and everything goes fine, and they go home. Oh, sorry. No, it's the other note. Uh, The other note is that they run into the sketchiest man alive, (laughs) named Mordeth. Literally, Mordeth. How much death is there? More. More what? Death. RQIA, please. (laughs) Mordeth. Um. He says, I'm a friendly treasure hunter. 
I'm just here to hunt some treasure. I found some, and if you help me bring my treasure out, you can have the rest of the treasure I found. And the boys are like, this seems like a guy I can trust. Matt says, I told you there must be treasure in a place like this. I told you, there's gotta be treasure. Uh, <laughs> He's a fool. Yeah. So, as I said, I think this is the peak of stupidity in this book. So, luckily, my ughs won't get more intense from here. But, dear lord, this is, like, the most, like, immersion-shattering stupidity in this entire book. You're gonna have at least one more. <laughs> they were very wool-headed here. Yeah. Um, so, more death brings them underground to the pile of treasure. And there's no lights on the way down. They're just like walking through complete darkness and being like, hey, why is it so dark? And Mordef is like, don't even worry about it. So they get to the pile of the treasure. There's like gems and gold and all sorts of fancy, fancy stuff. And Perrin like picks up an axe and Miranda's like, hey, Mordef, uh, where's your shadow? And Mortis is like, what do you mean? And Rand's like, you're clearly a monster. Uh, and Mortis is like, fair enough. Time to turn into a smoke monster and kill you. Well, Mortis gets really upset when Matt mentions that we're going to Tarvalon. Yes. Yeah, for uh... some Matt continues to run his mouth. They should just really get him a muzzle. Cause, Pretty um, much. Yeah. Because when they're also trying to escape the big scary shadow, he's like, but what about the treasure? I mean, like, yeah. the treasure, though. Yeah, he keeps saying, but we gotta get the treasure. We can't just leave it now. Ugh. Yes, yes, you can. Um, so they run out of the place, definitely not taking any treasure with them. So as they're running away throughout the city, they're like, people are watching us. Um, they make it back to the building where Moraine is waiting, um, along with the other two women and Tom. And they're like, hey, nobody's watching us anymore. Moraine says, I set up some wards. And everyone is like, how can three people be so dumb? Like, even spread among the three of you, I didn't think it was possible. Once again, Matt says, but we are safe now, aren't we? <laughs> He didn't give us anything, and he didn't touch us. We're safe, aren't we? Yeah, he didn't give us anything. <laughs> no magic cooties. <laughs> so, Moraine tells them why they shouldn't have been running around. Eridol was a cool place until this guy named Mordeth showed up. It went really bad, and, like, they became something beyond the shadow. Uh, just like evil with no a separate faction of evil that just hates everything and then they renamed well, the does don't they specifically hate the shadow uh that was how it started was like mordeth twisted their hate of the shadow until it just became like anti everything because mm -hmm. uh, they even kill shadow spawn and regular people kind of sounds like children of the light hmm so they renamed the place Shadar Logoth, where the shadow waits. Nothing can live there, everything is consumed and destroyed, and if you take any gift that Mordeth gives you, 
or he brings you outside the city, he will escape in your body and kill everyone on Earth. Sorry, in Ranland. Sorry, in the Moraine terrain. <laughs> yeah, so that part was a little, just a little bit where he's an evil that could potentially rival the Shadow, or he could potentially rival the Shadow in causing destruction for us common people who aren't, but Alza something. Balsamon? Yes. It's like, he's dangerous, but like, not on like, the scale of influence Balsamon has. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, after that story moraine says but don't worry i set up wards so nothing in shadow logoth can cause us any trouble and because there are no trollocs we'll be fine at this point land shows up and is like there's trollocs so they all decide to leave because they're like well we could wait but she can't set two types of wards so she's like we could stay here and the trollocs could kill us and shadow logoth wouldn't or we could stay here and the tro- uh, and Shadow Logoth would kill us and the Trollocs wouldn't. Or we could leave. So they decide to leave and their plan is, hey, we're next to a river. If we get across the river, we'll be good. The Trollocs won't follow us across the running water. Again, unlike any other evil force in any other books, <laughs> no relation. No relation. Also, no relation to fairy tales at all, because um, it's actually a it's it's a common ish trait where they the, the the big spooky creatures won't want to cross the running water. Yeah. So they chapter twenty dust on the wind. They all head out together on horseback before they get separated by some fog called Mashadar, which is. Referred Real to spooky. by yeah by Moraine says it's the evil of Shadar Logoth, uh, and if you touch it, you die instantly. I don't know if like this th- fog is much thicker and more definite than regular fog, because otherwise it sounds like the idea of riding your horse through it without touching it even once sounds impossible. I mean, your horse would be dead, yeah. and then you would fall and be dead. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of imagining it being, like, sickly green spooky. Oh, like ectoplasm? Yeah. Like, visual evil bad. And that way, like, you actually know what you're escaping. It's still going to be all around and really darn hard to escape, but you have at least a chance of noticing it and Mm. uh, getting out. So they get separated from each other uh moraine like dust in the wind like dust in the wind uh moraine points at a star and says go that way she heads off rand tries to lead the rest of the group that's with him and then they get separated instantly like as soon as the first hurdle appears everybody goes in their own direction they're not following the star they're not following the star uh rand and matt meet back up um, and then they find Tom, who is getting traced by uh, chased by Trollocs. Like, Tom is running past and going, like, we gotta go. And Rand and Matt are like, why? And they see the Trollocs, and then they turn and run. 
there's a lot of scenes in this chapter where it's like visually I'm looking forward to seeing what the show will do with this because there's so much description mm-hmm. and it's like how will they turn this into real people doing things yeah Perrin and Egwene uh, find each other in the mist while they are trying to outrun Trollocs notably this is the first time we leave Rand's perspective yes uh, we're now in Perrin's I liked Perrin's perspective Perrin's perspective is so nice he's good he's a good boy (laughs) he's thinking and he's trying his best yeah he's a brother and I don't not like the casting light I mean like the wolf brother (laughs) so they jump into the river to escape the Trollocs and they get swept downstream. Uh, we cut back to Rand, Matt, and Tom, who are... They get to the river, and then they have to decide which way to go. They're like, well, we can go up or down, and we're equally likely to catch or lose Moraine, whichever way we go. They see a light ahead on the water, and they go over to it, and it turns out it's a light on a boat. They leave most of their stuff behind, and climb up on. There's a very short battle in which Rand, like, kicks some dude in the head. And gets very lucky. Yeah, he's really lucky. Hmm. So, the Trollocs get removed from the ship, and they are then safely out of the water. I'm sorry, safely out on the water. Um, The captain... Domon uh, says, like, hey, we're going to go. He says, fortune prick me. I need to speak with these boys. Yeah, he has a real funny dialect. Yeah, I can't even, like, conceptualize what it's supposed to be. Magic pirates? I mean, not magic, but yes. But, but pirates who live in a magical world. Like fantasy pirates. Fantasy pirates. Like the... the idealized vision of a pirate. I mean, I know it's like an Ilian accent. I just don't know. Like, I can't think of how to map it into our reality. Which I guess is good. I guess. So, during this discussion between Tom, Matt, Rand, and Domon, they... It turns out that Domon is like a huge penny pincher. He's like, I would throw my brother off if he didn't have the... Uh, money to have a chamber to himself. Tom tries to get the three out of paying. Unfortunately, my note says, unfortunately, Matt and Rand don't know anything. Uh, So they both hand over the silver coins that Moraine gave them before. I was wondering about that because they explicitly didn't spend it immediately. So did, did it wear off then or... We'll just have to find out, won't we? Okay. Yeah, they, like, cut off Tom's trying to get them passage without paying. Tom's like, what if we didn't pay in exchange for and random matter? Like, what if we did pay? Here's some money. What heroes? What a couple of heroes. These are our heroes, ladies and gentlemen. So, Rand heads back up onto deck. He laments that he wasn't able to protect Egwene, and the three of them set off down the road in the night on their way to a town called White Bridge, which is the end of the chapter.
So what are our general feelings? In comparison to the first ten chapters, I feel like these ten chapters were more entertaining. Yes. But definitely less good. (laughs) Was my feeling. Yeah. Yeah, like, I am more than... I'm happy that we're another fifth of the way done with this book. Is it not good because it just brings up a lot of um, things that aren't consistent with later books, or just because... Well, that and the characters are, like, unbelievably stupid. Okay. And, like, I don't enjoy watching characters that could be good just being, like, especially by the plot. Yes. But, like, it's so bad that it's entertaining. Yeah, it's really easy to laugh at Matt in these sections. So, like, the first ten chapters, there were definitely times where I was, like, bored. Yeah. But, like, it was consistent and I knew what he was going for, pretty much. I spent an hour longer than last week reading these chapters, so rather than being 90 minutes, it was, um basically two and a half hours yeah so why do you think that was were you like more interested or was there just more proper nouns um well there 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 were a lot more proper nouns and then because because the pace sped up once more i i I was taking time to make sure that i was noticing details of how much time is passing where are they what's going on what is all the details for this yeah, I'm still not one over it, but I did appreciate the details that went into here's more about this world. Here's slightly more about the characters. Good luck. It did point out how I think it's kind of uh, what's the word besides interesting or good? There aren't any. <laughs> there aren't any other words. Um, you know, what's weird is that's all the words I observed that. Each town, etc., people had their associations. So, Two Rivers people are just a little weird. They seem all smiley and nice, but then they have a lot of things hidden underneath. And then Terrence Ferry are thieves and don't trust them with anything because they'll steal your fingers. And then... You know that wasn't literal, right? I know. Okay. I'm just making sure. They will steal your valuables, including your magnificent cloak. And then we get more about Aes Sedai and then the Children of the Light. And it's just really interesting. Oh my god, I did it again. Um, <laughs> it's how how these characterizations are presented as just being true as in that's just how it is it's that race essentialism i was pointing out before yeah which is also a common thing in fantasy novels but yep that's kind of where i'm at it's better than the first 10 but better in different ways and hopefully i will become more actively engaged as a reader soon (laughs) that's one way to put it we're getting there we're getting we're almost to a part that you could theoretically describe as good (laughs) that's so generous um well like i don't know when when is it'll get good eventually when we meet loyal yeah wait (laughs) loyal 
not loyal. 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 Words are hard. Definitely loyal. He makes the book good. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, there's like stuff to look forward to even in this book. It's just we have to like get there. But yeah, I think it's could be worse. <laughs> so thanks for listening, y'all. Yeah, I still had fun talking about it. Yeah. And I hope people had fun listening to it, if anyone listened at all. Yeah. We're really validated by others. But even if you're not listening, we we enjoy our voices enough to be entertained. And we're recording this before the first episode has gone up, so we don't know anything. Yeah. We're like Matt and Rand IRL. (laughs) This, but unironically. Yeah. So that should be all from us. And I'm Jesse. I'm Tyler. And I'm Beyond. We will be back next week with chapters 21 through 30. Probably. Definitely. Hopefully. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone.